Dealmaker Insights, the podcast brought to you by Reed Smith's corporate and finance lawyers from around the globe. In this podcast series, we explore the various legal and financial issues impacting your deals. Should you have any questions on any of the content through this series, please contact our speakers. Welcome back to our Dealmaker's Insights podcast. We are here today to give you seven tips to close your deal and make sure you're compliant with merger control and antitrust rules. So I'm Natasha Tardif, I'm managing partner of Reed Smith in Paris, and I co-head the antitrust competition and regulatory team. And I'll be talking to you today with... Hi, I'm Lucille Schneereis. I'm senior associate in the antitrust competition and regulatory team. So let's start with tip one. Tip one, what is merger control really? Let's think of it very early. When you start a deal, you should be asking yourself, is this a merger, an acquisition, a full function joint venture, not a full function joint venture? Basically, a a concentration on the competition law, which means a lasting change in the control of the company. If you have difficulties identifying that, then, of course, go check with your competition and antitrust lawyers. And what are they going to look at? Well, you're going to have to think about whether your uh, client is obtaining a decisive influence over the other company. So how do you get decisive influence? It's via ownership or by a contract. Either you get a majority of voting rights or you get a blocking minority of rights. Like, can your client have veto rights on strategic decisions like the adoption and dismissal of management or the approval of the budget or the approval of the business plan? They might be getting decisive influence. Then you're thinking change of control, you're thinking merger control. And you will need to know who the parties to the transaction are. So uh, you will look at the acquirers. Of course, that's easy. But make sure that if there is a joint control, such as one of the situations Lucille just described, then you're taking into account all of the joint acquirers, even though some of them might be minority shareholders. And then on the other hand, you will look at the target company, which doesn't, in nearly all cases, doesn't include the seller. So those will be the parties that you will be taking into account for the analysis of your merger control rules. And why is it important to determine who the parties to the concentrations are? Because those parties are going to be the ones that you're looking at to determine if the transaction is notifiable to a competition authority. Competition authorities will look at uh, concentrations depending on a number of thresholds. Those can be like market share thresholds, like in Morocco, or um, value of transaction thresholds, like in Germany, Austria, or the US. But most frequently, they're going to be turnover thresholds. So we have to think about the parties to the transactions turnover. But here again, be careful. Turnover under competition law it's not necessarily turnover under tax rules or other accounting rules. EU competition turnover, for example, it's net, it's by country of destination. So you have to talk to a competition lawyer and determine what the relevant turnover is. And once you have the turnover, 
what you want to do is look at all the jurisdictions in which the target company and or the acquirer are active. So that means, for instance, in Europe, taking into account the European Commission thresholds for merger control. And if they're not met, then looking into each and every member state. And then similarly, looking at every other jurisdiction where the target is active, again, based on the definition of turnover that Lucille just mentioned. Now, once you've done that, it's very important to make sure that you have the right list of jurisdictions to which you want to or need to notify your deal and make sure that you comply with the timing of those authorities because there usually is a standstill period until you get a clearance from the competition authorities that are competent to review your deal. Now, let's move on to our number two tip. What do you do to make sure that you're complying with merger control rules? You include it in your M&A documentation, which means that if you have notification obligations, then you will have to have a standstill obligation in your M&A deal documents and make sure that your planning, your transaction process, and basically your schedule takes into account those merger control procedures. Let's move on to tip three. You're going to look into whether you're going through with the deal. What did you do first? Perform due diligence. Be careful. Due diligence shouldn't be a time where you exchange sensitive information between competitors or parties that could be operating on the same market. A purchaser will want to know how the company they're going to purchase works. That's normal. The risks involved in acquiring a whole or part of a company, whether the deal fits with the company's activities, objectives, portfolio, that's completely fine. But due diligence often includes sensitive information like financials, quality of a target's technology, intellectual property, strategic fit, possible synergies. All of those might be sensitive information that a competitor should not necessarily have. Therefore, it's recommended to take several precautions. What does that mean as a transactional lawyer? Well, you're going to recommend to your client that they conclude confidentiality agreement, that they set up clean teams, that's teams of people who are not likely to use the information communicated during the due diligence period to influence the commercial management of either of the companies. Now let's move on to our tip four. So the due diligence is also very helpful to allow you to identify past or potential or current breaches of competition law. So while looking into the company's behavior on the market, the contract it enters into, the kind of relationships it has on the market with its competitors, with its customers, well, you can identify potential breaches of competition law which you can decide if you go ahead with the deal to either uh, use as a leverage for the price negotiation and or as an element of deciding whether you want to go for leniency because, of course, uh, most competition authorities in the world allow for a leniency procedure whereby the first company to come and bring to their attention the fact that there was a breach of competition law, even though they were part of it, uh, can benefit from an immunity from fine, which can be very helpful knowing that fines in the competition world can go as high as 10% of the group's turnover. Now let's move on to our tip five. 
Tip five, you also have to be careful when you're including in your deal any non-compete clauses and exclusivity clauses post-transaction. Obviously, non-compete clauses and other types of post-transaction contracts or links between the seller and the target are legitimate. However, you do have to be careful because they could include ancillary anti-competitive aspects. Therefore, it's very important whenever you're including non-compete clauses in your deal to limit their duration, their geographical scope, their subject matter, and the persons that are subject to them. Similarly, with post-transaction contracts, it's often necessary to maintain, at least for a transitional period, the existing or similar links between the seller and the target. However, they should be set out in advance and a framework should be included. Or they could be submitted to the competition authority in the context of the merger control. Let's move on to tip six. So once you've decided that you have to notify your deal, make sure that you're preparing the right documents and that you have sufficient time to do that. So there is a whole pre-notification phase generally, whereby you have informal discussions with the competition authorities to prepare the filing. And then you have the whole filing procedure where you have to prepare the documents, give a number of information about the company's activities and how they potentially overlap, how they compete with other market players, and so uh, the synergies, the potential synergies of the deal. So there is some work to be done there, depending on the complexity of the deal, um, uh, meaning the potential or lack of overlaps between the, the acquirers and the target company's activities. So make sure you have sufficient time to do that. Moving on to tip seven, you shouldn't implement the transaction too early. There is such a thing as being too prepared. Gun jumping is not only not respecting the standstill period, it's not only going through with a deal without notifying the competition authorities at all. It can also mean going too deep into the preparation of the transaction itself. So if a future buyer is adopting strategic decisions in the place of the target, decisions relating to the business plan and the management, for example, that might constitute gun jumping. If the acquirer and the target start entering into commercial relationships or discussing commercial contracts too much into depth or too early and anticipating the effects of the transaction, for example, if an acquirer and a target start coordinating on commercial strategies or the launch of a new product, if parties start exchanging strategic information in order to get ready for day one, well, all of that may actually constitute gun jumping. In order to avoid any gun jumping sanction, particularly in acts performed during the pre-closing phase, it's recommended to once again use clean teams or black boxes, not allow the acquirer to take part in strategic decisions, and be careful of the covenants aimed at protecting the value of the target, including a normal course of business clause should, in most cases, be sufficient. So there you have it, our seven tips to close the deal and not having to deal with competition issues. You have any question? You call your competition specialist, of course. 
Thank you so much for joining our Dealmaker Insights podcast. Tune in next time for our next episode. Dealmaker Insights is a Reed Smith production. Our producer is Ali McArdle. For more information about Reed Smith's corporate and financial industry practices, please email dealmakerinsights at reedsmith.com. You can find our podcast on Spotify, Apple, Google, Stitcher, reedsmith.com, and on our social media accounts at reedsmithllp on LinkedIn, Facebook, and Twitter. This podcast is provided for educational purposes. It does not constitute legal advice and is not intended to establish an attorney-client relationship, nor is it intended to suggest or establish standards of care applicable to particular lawyers in any given situation. Prior results do not guarantee a similar outcome. Any views, opinions, or comments made by any external guest speaker are not to be attributed to Reed Smith LLP or its individual lawyers. All rights reserved.